0: We have been looking at the attributes of our Lord as they are given here in the book of Revelation to what is commonly known as the seven churches. These are real churches at that day. John is going to write a real letter inspired by the Lord, the book of Revelation, but within that book, he's also going to be sending seven individualized epistles, as it were, to these churches, and all the churches would not only read their individual epistle, but all the churches would read all the other ones. This is what the Spirit says to the churches collectively. And I want to look at the fifth church, the church at Sardis, Revelation chapter 3 in verse 1. And this is perhaps the most sorrowful of all the churches that are mentioned here in this book. Revelation 3 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and the attributes that we'll be looking at, verse 1, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We've seen earlier in this book that our Lord appears to the Apostle John while he is at exile on the island of Patmos, and he appears to him clothed with certain garments. John actually falls at his feet as if he were what? As if he were dead. at The appearance of our Lord. He's appearing within seven golden lampstands or candlesticks. And we learn that the popular notion of how our Lord appears is that he is appearing as a high priest, that he is dressed in that type of garment. And the high priest did dress in similar types of garments, but there was also another type of official that also dressed in those types of garments, and that was a judge. And I think as we think about that, we kind of come to the conclusion that this is how our Lord appears to the apostle. He appears to the apostle as a judge. What is he doing with the seven churches? He is making what? judgments. What is he doing on the face of the earth? He is making judgments. Our Lord appears as a judge and makes those types of judgments, but in doing so, he is garbed in such a way that as he appears, he is showing forth his attributes. And so we saw first at the church at Ephesus That Christ is the one who is holding the stars in his right hand and he is walking in the midst of the candlesticks or the midst of the churches. If you would ask me, what is Christ doing? Well, he is certainly seated at the right hand of God, but he is also where on the face of this earth? He is in the midst of his churches. We saw, secondly, an attribute of Christ is that He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who was dead and now has come to to life. And so that was the answer. Those attributes was the answer to the church at Smyrna. The third church at Pergamon, Christ appears as the one with the sharp two-edged sword. And you can imagine Christ coming into a church and waging war against those in the church that are holding false doctrine or false teaching in this particular church, the false doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. How does he do that? He does that through preaching. Preaching a text can be a blessing. Preaching a text can be healing. Preaching a text can be warfare. And all three of those happen every time biblical preaching occurs in a group of people. Blessed are the people who are healed and encouraged. Versus Christ warring against them. And then the fourth church, we saw that Christ is a judging fire. Nothing escapes the eyes of Christ. He sees all, he knows all, and he knows the deeds of that church. And of course, our deeds or our behavior mirrors Our beliefs. Ultimately, the way we walk in our behavior before the Lord actually reveals the things that we believe about God. Just to pick up a theme from this morning. If we value the gospel of the person of Christ and the summing up of all things into Him, it affects our valuation of our life. You show a believer and they value their life very highly. I can show you a believer that has not properly valued Christ as a person. The higher the valuation on Christ, the lower you value your what? Your own life. And that is the way it is. We grow in that evaluation. But here at this fifth church, the church at Sardis, This church, of all churches, even more so in my estimation than the church at Laodicea, is really a church that is to be sorrowed. The attributes that our Lord has is that He is the one who possesses the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The Lord knows His churches. Does he know the church at Sardis? He does know that church. He knows their deeds. He says that in verse 1. I know your deeds. And the fact of the matter is, is that what made this church really a matter of sorrow and grief is that they had, if you look at verse 1 again, they had a name that they were living but the truth was they were they were dead here's a church evidently deceived about their own congregation and their own status before Christ himself this issue was that there you looked at that church you looked at what they were doing You maybe looked at their services, you looked at how they interacted. A person not scripturally versed could walk away and say, that church is alive. If there's any church around that is living for the Lord, that church is alive. But the fact is, is that they were dead. The word dead, if you recall, means to be separated from. So in our bodies, if we're dead, our spirit and soul is separated from our body. This church, though it had a reputation that it was alive in Christ, it was actually separated from Christ. Do we have such churches today in the world? Well, it is a grief to say that we do. And I want to bring out four things about this for our consideration. First of all, we are very poor judges, apart from Scripture, we are very poor judges of what life in a professing body of believers looks like. Would you agree with that? Here's a church, do they have the label Christian? Yes. Here's a church that appears to be alive. Here's a church that probably, if you would ask those within the congregation, are you alive in Christ, they would respond what? Yes. Yes. So again, apart from Scripture, we... As even as believers, we are very poor judges of what true life is in a professing body of believers. Would you agree with that? It's exactly what is going on here at the Church of Sardis. Sardis was not aware that they were dead. How do we know that? Well, what was their reputation? they were alive. No concept that they were separated from Christ even though they had that Christian label. And folks today, and I'm speaking from an American perspective, today many many people are duped by going to assemblies that are exciting they may even be tantalizing. They may be motivating. They may have lots of excitement about it and surrounding it. They may even have good works in the community. But Christ is apart from that congregation. Secondly, I think a thing that we can draw out from this for our consideration is the fact that this congregation was asleep. And we see that in verse 2. What's the very first two words? Wake up. We'll see it again in verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not, wake up. This church was entirely asleep to the things of Christ. Is that amazing to you? That here's a congregation, they have a reputation that they're alive But they're not really alive, they're unconscious (laughs) to the things of Christ. They are actually sleeping, and our Lord himself says, Wake up! And of course, when you're asleep, you're not aware of anything around you, right? Because you're asleep. That's the way they were to the Lord. And then thirdly, this church needed to remember something. You'll see that here in verse 3 when it says, Remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. So, had they forgotten? They had forgotten. And they needed to remember the very first things, the very first things that that congregation had received. Now, what would that have been? Well, it would not have been recognized as a church unless the right foundation had been laid, right? And there's no other foundation than that which can be laid, and that is Christ Jesus Himself. So at the beginning, or at the organization of this church, had the right foundation been given? Had they heard the right message? Had they gathered around that message? The answer to that is yes. But here, if I was to put a date on it, this is kind of shocking. Approximately 60 years later, maybe even 40 years later, From the founding of this congregation, they had forgotten. They had forgotten the true gospel upon which it had been founded. Now, I don't think that's to say they had no form of a gospel. Or they would not have had a reputation that they were what? That they were alive and that they were a church. (coughs) But they had forgotten what they had received and heard, and they had forgotten to keep what they had seen and heard, and they definitely were not knowing this in their congregation that they needed to repent. They needed to have a change of mind and heart and soul about their condition and about the message that they were holding on to. But there was a good thing about this church. And the good thing is, is that there was a very small remnant of believing people in that congregation. Look at verse 4. He says, But you have a few people in Sardis, who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There was a few people, a very small remnant, who had not fallen asleep. They were holding to the first things that they had heard and received. They had not fallen asleep. <clears throat> they were holding on to the person of Christ. And in doing that, they were walking a worthy walk before the Lord. Did the Lord know who they were? He did know who they were. There was, <clears throat> as it were, a little salt left in that this congregation. But the majority of this congregation if you were to label this congregation as our Lord labeled it, it would be labeled separated from Christ, dead. When in fact, it was probably an exciting church to be a part of, at least from an outward perspective. And folks, we need to be very, very careful about this. I've been in the ministry many decades and what is true and what I have seen has been true all throughout church history, professing people in general don't know how to choose a church to go to. If I was to ask you can you list some things from the Bible that, you, that the Bible says you should be looking for in a church for you or you and your family to become members. I would say the majority of people could not readily come up with a list. Now that may be good, you're not looking for another congregation, but the fact of the matter is we as a church need to have those scriptural characteristics of a true New Testament church. I think it'd be safe for us to say <clears throat> the preaching would be something to look for, right? But even with that, I have found, I've been amazed, even when people that have been exposed to sound preaching <clears throat> can actually go and attend a church where the preaching is very weak and yet tell themselves that it's good preaching. You also would want to attend a church where the overwhelming majority of those, as far as human beings can tell, have a credible profession of faith. In other words, they are walking the walk. It's not a situation of a church that maybe 20% of them have that credible walk and the other 80% don't. The majority of that church has that. That would be a good thing to look for, would it not? You'd want to look for a church that has proper church order, that whatever you would believe the Bible would hold to church polity or church government, you would want to observe that. And as Baptist, with there is certain church polity associated with being a Baptist, there's certain church polity associated with being a Presbyterian. You would also want, and this might surprise you, but in the book of Hebrews it says that you ought to join a congregation that has suffered for the cause of Christ. And that doesn't always mean that somebody there has been beat or shed blood, but there's suffering, they've endured shame, they've endured reproach from the community, from those around them. There are scriptural requirements for choosing a local New Testament church. But most believers, in my personal um, walk, most believers don't know what those things are and how to properly evaluate it. Could a person be easily duped to attend a Sardis type of church? I think the answer to that is yes. Because this church had a name that it was living, but it was what? It was dead. How many churches seem to be alive or claim to be alive, but are actually separated from God in our nation? That could be an overwhelming thought, really, to think about something like that. But one thing is sure, that at this church at Sardis, the people that were attending that congregation were not making their assessments on what true life is based on a proper understanding of the New Testament. I think that's safe to say about these people. Now what is the solution for a church like this? Well, I think simplistically we could say that the solution for this church, since it was dead and it needs to be alive, we could say it's the gospel. And of course we would be what? We'd be correct about that. I think simplistically we could say that the solution for this church is Christ. He is the gospel. And you would be entirely right in saying that. But Christ himself gives to us two specific attributes that had been lost in this congregation in their understanding of the person of Christ. And it is this. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars... So let's take a look at those two attributes or characteristics. If we turn to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, what we find about these seven spirits, we would would call this the person of the Holy Spirit. Here seen in seven distinct attributes. Attributes. But in verse 4, John says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits which are where? Before his throne. Everybody see that? Folks, when the Spirit of God leaves a congregation, they are dead. If there's one thing about true biblical Christianity is that it is supernatural. It's not human in and of itself. It's not our energies in and of itself. It's not our deeds in and of itself. It all begins with the gospel being preached, the Holy Spirit taking that gospel, applying it to a person's heart, Drawing that person to Christ so that he voluntarily chooses Christ. And then something supernatural happens in the heart of that person. They are regenerated. And they receive that foretaste, that down payment of the holy what? The Holy Spirit. Folks, from beginning to end, Christianity, biblical Christianity, is supernatural. Supernatural. You take that out of it, you've taken Christ out of it. You take that out of it, all you have is a shell that crumbles. These seven spirits are before His throne. If you look at chapter 4 of this book and look at verse 5, we learned something else about these seven spirits. It says, Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the what? Okay, now we learned that they were before the throne already. But, folks, what does a lamp produce? Light. Light comes to us, illumination comes to us by the Holy Spirit. This church is absent of this. There's no presence of that church before the throne. There's no illumination. And folks, that enlightenment, that illumination by God's Spirit specifically shines when the Word of God is preached. Remember what Paul prayed, that you might receive enlightening so that you would have the spirit of knowledge and of wisdom of Him. Sight and discernment illumination by the Holy Spirit. And then if you look at chapter 5 in verse 6, it says, I saw before the throne <clears throat> with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if it were slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven what? Yes. The seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Folks, that seven spirits can see. It not only gives light and illumination, it sees. So what do we learn by this? Well, this church was evidently missing the illumination of the knowledge and wisdom of Christ. But folks, they also had no sight and discernment. Folks, that's what happens when you see something, right? When you see something, you make evaluations. You do it every day of your life. This church lacked the sight and discernment that comes by God's own Spirit. And who possesses these seven Spirits? The Lamb. Christ Himself possesses those seven Spirits. And of course, folks, if I say to you, Christ possesses those those seven spirits and you are dead, it means that this church was absent of God's Spirit working in their midst. Folks, they shook themselves like Samson, not knowing that the Spirit of God had departed from him. And folks, you, can, you and I can go through the motions, can't we? Uh, we can come to service. We can sing an opening song. Can you do that lost, having no Spirit of God? The answer to that is what? Yes. Can you pray not having the Spirit of God? You can pray and not have the Spirit of God. Can you, if you had a time of greeting, think pre-COVID, okay? (laughs) Could you greet one another not having the Spirit of God? Sure. Could you have preaching with no Spirit of God? You can. Could you carry a Bible to a church with no Spirit of God? folks we can go through all those external activity all that external activity can be done dead before the lord and yet we can be telling ourselves because we're doing those activities that all's well in our church and folks all's not well with this church you could have music in this church. You can have singing in this church. I mean, Ephesians t- tells us to make melody in our hearts to, toward one another. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Can you do that, dead? Yes, you can do that apart from the Spirit of God. You can generate all this. And from the outside, it looks like everything is alive. But things were not alive. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ was nowhere near this congregation. Isn't that not sorrowful? But folks, there's a second thing you need. I think we all would agree, if I was to say to you, do we need the Spirit of God? I think all of us would say amen to that. If I was to say to you, do we need... A reviving today. How are we going to get that? By the Spirit of what? By the Spirit of God. But, folks, remember what I mentioned this morning. The Spirit of God is in union with something else. What is that? The Word of God. Right? Knowledge applied by the Spirit of God. And we saw that this morning from Genesis. We have the Spirit hovering over that created material, and yet nothing happens until God says, let there be light. And all of a sudden, the activity of that Spirit is energized to do that. That's true in a local New Testament church. And folks, that is why preaching is so important. God does everything by His Word. That Word has to be preached rightly, accurately, as accurate as we can in our fallen state, filled with God's Spirit, as accurately as we can do it. Because the grace comes to us through the preached Word. Peace comes to us through the preached Word. Eternal life, we grow in grace through the preached Word. This is how God does things. So folks, it would make sense that Christ would look at this church and say, you're absent of the seven spirits of God and you need to come to Me because I am the one that possesses those spirits. You need to come to me so that the Spirit of God would again work in your assembly. But folks, He not only possesses the seven spirits, He possesses the seven stars. What are those seven stars? If you go back to Revelation chapter 1, where He shows those stars in His hand, it says in verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the what? Angels or the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are seven churches. Christ possesses not only the Holy Spirit, He also possesses the messengers. And folks, each church had a messenger. It says in Revelation 3 verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write this. Folks, the messenger is the one who delivers a what? A message. It's not a creative thing that they come up with. He is to preach the preaching. He's to preach the preaching once delivered to the saints, which we know of as the New Testament. Evidently, this was not only instruction to the church as a whole, but it was also instructed to the messenger of that church. Perhaps there had been a failure in that messenger. Perhaps that messenger was not possessed by Christ. Perhaps that messenger was not being a proper luminary. That's what a star does, right? A star gives off what? He gives off light. Perhaps he wasn't being a proper luminary. He wasn't shining forth the words of Christ. Perhaps he wasn't explaining it accurately. Perhaps he wasn't making the people to hear. Maybe he wasn't teaching them to obey. But whatever it was, the messenger and the church needed what Christ possessed. And folks, how would you like to stand up before a church like Sardis? Whose name is that it was alive. Whose church was ignorant to their true state. And stand up before them and preach, you are dead. Isn't that the message? Yeah. Folks, what's the message that the messenger's supposed to give to this church? You have a reputation that you are alive, but you are? You're dead. I wonder how the congregation would respond. Can you imagine whatever you have in your mind of whatever church that you may be thinking of is a popular church, winsome with the world, speaks to things of the world, maybe it has exciting music, programs, things going on, and you get called, you get called, would you come preach this Sunday morning? And everybody's anticipating, just waiting what you're going to have. And you say, I have a message. From the Apostle John. For you at this church. Our reputation, we are a living, alive church. Can you hear the amens? And then you hear these words, you're dead. Can you imagine the silence that would come over a congregation like that? But you know, folks, John wasn't afraid to say that. John wrote this, yes? Yes. To be sent to the church. Because, folks, the very truth that Christ is the possessor of the seven spirits of God, and that Christ is the possessor of the seven stars, how do you think this very, very small remnant would respond? With joy unspeakable. Right? I think this small remnant, are they walking with Christ? Are they walking that worthy walk? Are they holding on to the gospel as it was they had first heard and received? Yes what do you think that they would have responded to inspired words from the Apostle for their church? I think they would have responded with joy unspeakable. But at the same time, I think that there would be those within that church, those who were unconscious to the things of Christ, Who would not walk away saying, That was a great message. I feel really good about today's message. I think they would have walked away saying, That was severe. Don't you? But folks, the message that was to one joy unspeakable and full of glory and the message to the other who were entirely asleep to their status before God. That message was a promise of life if you would take it. Look at what it says in verse 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase His name from the book of life. And I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a promise of what? Of life. And folks, it would be a life that would be life indeed. Can you imagine what it would be one day when you stand before the throne of God and you look around and notice all the saints clothed in white garments? And you look down, maybe at your arm, and you see your clothed in a white garment. Your name's written in the book of life. And you hear your name announced before God the Father. That's life, yes? For God to recognize that. And folks, we need to be careful. I want to exhort us as our own particular assembly. We need to be careful to the best of our ability and by the grace of God to give ourselves to learning our Bibles, to relying upon Christ, praying for Christ to give us illumination, understanding of what Christ has said. To be like Peter, Where are we going to go? These are the words of eternal life. Do not be deceived by what seems to be alive, but in Christ's own estimation is dead. Do not be glamorized by the wealthy and the rich and the prominent people of this earth, but to be willing to associate with the weak and the poor, the nobodies who have gathered themselves together in local New Testament assemblies, whose Lord is Christ, and in whom is the riches of the treasure of the light of the knowledge of His glory in His face. To never lose that. To never despise small things. But to count ourselves wealthy beyond imagination. And we'll learn, Lord willing, there is a church at Philadelphia. And they only have a little strength. But they are commended by God. That's the type of assembly I want to be a part of. May God keep us, the character of our church, entirely in line with His person and His scripture. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we.